Well, if you will, turn with me today to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 this summer as we continue out these next few weeks of summer. I know school's getting ready to start. You've already started? Tallulah is homeschooled. Homeschoolers get to do school all the time. Isn't that amazing? That's awesome. Your birthday's at school? Is that this week? Soon? August 15th. Okay. Well, I know school's coming up and the summer is just about at an end. And uh, parents may be celebrating. Kids may or may not be celebrating at the end of summer. But uh, here at Sovereign Grace, we're working through uh, just several psalms. We're not doing the entire book of psalms. But for the next several weeks, we will be in uh, various psalms together. Because the psalms are written songs of praise to the Lord. But yet there is such deep theology here and deep truth that God allowed his servant David and other psalm writers to record for us worship that points to the truth of God's grace. Amen? Amen. So if you can, turn with me to Psalm 18 and let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. We'll begin in verse 16 and read through verse 30. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank You for proving Yourself true. You call us to have faith in the fact that Your Son, Jesus Christ, paid the price of our sin, and we lean on that. Dear God, if it was not for Your trustworthiness, if it was not for your majesty in showing us how wonderful and good and kind and powerful you are, 
we would not know what faith is. And so I pray, God, through the words of your servant David this morning, you would speak to us boldly. You would draw our spirits into your spirit. You would draw us into your holy presence through these wonderful lyrics of poetry that show us your majesty. Right now, dear God, let this time be yours. Fill this space with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Please have a seat. I don't know about you, but how, how difficult is it for you to earn somebody's trust? That takes a long time. See, trust is something that is not granted will, uh, just freely. Trust is something that is earned. Amen? When I counsel young married couples as they are beginning their lives together as one, one of the things that a pastor must always do is bring a little dose of reality to the romance. Can we say amen, married people? Right? There is something about a commitment to another that you just don't do haphazardly or because it feels right. There is a balance of trust that is earned between two parties that, you know, it takes a little trial and error. It takes a little bit of experience with one another to learn to trust the other. Amen? That's good wisdom, not only in marriage, but it's also good wisdom in life. If you want to go and take a new job, you better really research it and pray about it and understand is can I trust this new employer? <laughs> Same thing if you're a boss trying to hire staff. I know, Bill, you've hired people over the, t- over the years. You need to discern, perhaps through one or two interviews, whether or not you can trust this person. And a lot of times when we get a new job, what, do we, what are we hired under? We're hired under a trial period in order to learn whether or not, number one, the employer can trust you, and number two, whether or not you think you can trust that employer. It does go both ways. Amen? I think that Psalmist David here in Psalm 18 is writing a wonderful hymn to the Lord as he is expressing his gratitude to God. I worship you, God, because you have proven yourself true. Have we pondered that a little bit in our lives? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever just asked yourself, dear God, do I trust you? Or do we just blindly walk through our Christian life? Well, God's got this. I think God is okay with, you, with us pondering how good He is by examining what He has done before. One of the ways that we can worship God in sincerity is we stand firm on the fact that God has proven Himself true over and over and over again. Not just in our lives, but through Scripture. That's what we see throughout all of the Old Testament. God is interacting with His people, and God is proving Himself true and trustworthy and faithful over and over and over again, even though His people have proven not to be faithful. And David here, as he's writing this wonderful psalm, as he's singing to the Lord. We've not read the entire psalm. It's, it's, uh, it's 50 verses. We didn't read all 50 verses. But God has shown himself true to David time and time again. And David is taking delight in that. 
We see here in verse 16, as David begins to speak about God's faithfulness, he says, He, speaking of God, He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Amen. As we see here, David is talking about three steps here in verse 16 and 17. First of all, he proclaims that God has sent from on high. In other words, God has not stayed distant from us. He has sent hope and encouragement and support from on high to David. What does God send for encouragement? What did God do to Jesus Christ, His own Son, as Jesus is pouring out His heart in the Garden of Gethsemane, as He is also, as Jesus even went through uh, days and weeks of temptation in the wilderness? God sends ministers, angels, even to our Savior. Do you all remember that? He sends from on high Himself through His messengers, whatever that looks like. Has God ever sent encouragement to you? Either through directly, I'm not going to say maybe He sent an angel to you that you saw audibly or visibly. He could have, hallelujah. But did He also send encouragement to you possibly through a stranger? Did He send encouragement to you through a loved one, a friend, a fellow church member, a family of God? He sent from on high. He took me. See, as God sends for us, He takes us. He took God's... Think about this. If, if God has taken us up out of our sinful circumstances, if God has sent from on high hope, and then He takes us from where we are, we are then in God's hands. God's grip upon us is a grip that will never let go. That's what David is singing here. He's sent from on high. He took me. No one can pluck God's chosen from his hand. If God has favor upon his children, he is going to send hope. He is going to take us up into his arms and nothing can take us away. Isn't that words of encouragement this morning? Amen? That's what David is singing here. Lastly, in verse 16, not only has God sent from on high, he sends for David. He takes David up. He draws me out. He drew me out of many waters. Now, in, in the Old Testament he, uh, poetry, in Hebrew poetry, the imagery of waters here really refers a lot to any kind of of distress, any kind of trouble. Water signifies the turmoil of our everyday living. It signifies the turmoil of the spiritual battle. Can you all say amen? I mean, water can be calm, but what happens if water gets stirred up? It can be very dangerous if we're not careful. 
He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. It's very interesting here in verse 16. The language here about being drawn up out of many waters was a common theme throughout much of Hebrew poetry and Hebrew writings. And it always refers back to Moses. Matter of fact, you remember Moses? Remember the story of Moses and the, and the Sunday school kids? Moses, as a baby, was placed in a basket by his mother for safekeeping because all of the children were being killed. And Moses was sent down the river Nile without any, any clear distinction of where he was going to go or what God was going to do. But baby Moses is rescued by God's providence by who else other than Pharaoh's daughter. Wow. And Moses is drawn up out of the water. Matter of fact, if you read in Exodus chapter 2 verse 10, when Moses' daughter draws up the baby out of the water. You know, her servant does this and takes her to the, to the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. She gives him the name Moses. Do you know why? It's because in Hebrew, the, word, the name Moses sounds an awful lot like the Hebrew word for draw up. You see the connection here? As Moses was God's servant, his called one, his sent one to, to rescue and lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses is that, that Christophany, that's the philosophical word, that image of Christ in the Old Testament. As Moses was drawn up out of that water, he was drawn up out of that troubling turmoil. Can you imagine what a baby floating down the river Nile? How many of y'all, how many of your mo new mothers in this room would take your baby and let them just go floating down the river? How many of you kids would like to go floating down the river? Some of the kids would, but mom was going, no. <laughs> For good reason, because the waters can be dangerous. The rapids of the river can cause a lot of damage. And God draws up Moses. Likewise, he draws up David from all of his turmoil and his problems and his enemies and his battles. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So as David is singing to the Lord here, he's acknowledging that God is sovereign and God has rescued him from many things because God has called him. He sent from heaven. He took him up. He drew him out of the waters. Therefore, David is in God's secure hands. And we read here, verses 16 through 24, various op uh, things that David is referring to here. We, I mean, if you read through First and Second Samuel and then the First and Second Kings, and, and you will notice that David has often faced a lot of problems. Not, not problems like uh, sinful problems, but enemies left. And right now, David has his own sinful problem as he becomes king later on with Bathsheba. But throughout David's life and throughout his reign as king, David faced many obstacles in battle, faced many political enemies. And God was there every single time. You see that verses 18 through 24. In verse 19, he says, He brought me into a broad place, a place of safety. He rescued me. Why in verse 19? Because he delighted in me. 
Can you take those words of comfort right now from God? He has drawn me up out of the waters. He has rescued me and brought me into a safe place, a broad place. He rescued me. Why? Because He delighted in me. Isn't that amazing? When we are, I mean, let me just be honest with you. I mean, as a pastor, people will call on me and and they'll they'll call on Rhonda too. And we love listening to people and we love praying with them and we love helping them. But anytime somebody calls distraught, which is 95% of the time, that's part of ministry. We must remind people all the time, no matter what your turmoil is, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how choppy the waters are, God loves you because He delights in you. Those are words of comfort. Those are words of, that, we, that we hold on to. As God holds on to us tightly... We can hold on to God because we know in verse 19 of Psalm 18, He delights in us. And then we read verses 20 through 24. David is confessing to the Lord that God Himself has dealt with David exactly as David needs to be dealt with. You see, that's the thing here that we can see in this wonderful psalm. God will delight in us but He will deal with us according to our circumstances with Him. God will deal with each and every individual according to how they respond to God. Verse 20, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He rewarded me. David's pretty bold here. Boy, I am... I have served the Lord faithfully. Now, some of us would see that as arrogant, but David does not see that as arrogant or prideful. He's proclaiming the truth. Dear God, I have served you in righteousness. I have served you according to the cleanness of my hands. How many of us can honestly say that to the Lord? If we are serving the Lord correctly, if we are serving the Lord through His biblical expectations, I think God is okay with us thanking Him, Dear God, You have allowed me and brought me up out of these circumstances, and I have followed You faithfully. Please deal with me according to my righteousness. I think that's okay. The problem is when we lie to ourselves, thinking we're righteous in our own efforts, not not recognizing that it is God Himself who has poured righteousness out over us through the blood of His Son. Amen? It's okay, according to the Psalms here, by example of David singing, we can say, Dear God, thank You for dealing with me as I am obedient to You. The devil will cause us to shy away from that with a false pride. Oh, you can't take pride in the fact that you're obedient. If you're obedient to the Lord's laws and His commands and you sincerely feel God's presence in your life, celebrate that. Now, those times in our lives where we are not obedient to the Lord, God will deal with us that way too. And we see this here in the psalm. Look here in verse 25 and 26. Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26. Here's how God deals with us. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. 
With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you show yourself pure. And with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. I think what we see here from David's acknowledgement of the Lord's faithfulness. We also see an example here of how God deals with us. God will approach us in the exact manner that we approach Him. I want you to stop and ponder that. This is biblical. Look at this here, verses 25 and 26. David is acknowledging in his song to God, Dear God, verse 25, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Notice in verse 25 and 26, who, what state of mankind's personality and their attitude toward the Lord is the one that seems the most dangerous. If we are crooked, we are going to perceive God as this dangerous tyrant. If we're crooked. So anyone who looks upon God as a vengeful, wrathful, hateful bully who hates all of mankind, what David is pointing out here is that the attitude of the heart of the wicked or the crooked leads to that perception of God. If you see God as somebody to be feared and to run away from, if you hear the voice of God as Thunder, and you terrified at his voice of thunder. That is clearly evidence of your heart condition in response to the Lord. But notice here in verse 25 and part of 26, the merciful. If, if we are in a, an attitude of mercy, if we, if we are in a situation where we need mercy, and if we are being merciful toward others, God will show himself merciful to us. If we are blameless, verse 25, and this ties directly into David. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. If we are, and we can be blameless before the Lord in obedience to His word and submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are blameless. doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want, but well, that's another sermon altogether. Doesn't mean that under the blood of Christ we go and sin more so that grace may abound more. That is not what he's talking about here. But what does it mean to be truly blameless? That means to be repentant. That means to be obedient. That means to be serving others without error and with a pure intent and heart of Christ. If we are in that state, then God shows himself as blameless to us. 26, verse 26, with the purified, you show yourself pure. We see God's purity as he makes us pure. If we are purified in our hearts and in our attitudes, we will then see the truth of God's purity. Wow. Amen. But again, on verse 26, with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Now, it's interesting here in verse 26, the language here about the crooked is a little bit different. It's not that God shows himself, to, shows himself as torturous to the crooked, as if God, that is part of God's character and his nature. It's the crooked see God as 
if he seems torturous. God's not a tyrant who wishes to torture his creation. But if you are a sinful heart, that's what you're going to think. It's a sad dilemma. Now, David is doing this to, to, to have a comparison here between his enemies who came against him throughout his life and himself as serving the Lord honorably. Because David here, as he's singing this wonderful song, he is singing to the Lord, I see your mercy because I am merciful. I see your blamelessness because I am blameless before you. I see your purity, dear God, because I have been made pure. But my enemies who are crooked, they see, they see you, dear God, as something that you're not. They see you as an evil, torturous tyrant. Because in verse 27 he says, To God, for you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Now verse 27 is something I want us to kind of focus on here a bit before we end out the last of the verses here. God saves the humble. You see that? For you save a humble people. What does it mean to be humble? Another way to see this is that God saves the afflicted. If we are a humble people, if our attitudes as individuals are an attitude of humility before the Lord, that requires us to acknowledge our sinfulness and our depraved state before a holy and righteous God. That's humility. Anyone who is arrogant before God will not be saved according to the Scriptures. Time and time and time again the Word says this. But in verse 27, For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Another way to look at that, I like the way the King James says this in verse 27, But the high looks you bring down. <laughs> that is, that's clear language of pride and arrogance. If you are a narcissist, if, if your whole world revolves around you, then you have haughty eyes. If you admire yourself in the mirror longer in the morning than it takes to actually get ready, you might have haughty eyes. Amen? If you look at your possessions, your bright and shiny new car, and worship and polish how good you look in that wonderful new sports car or that new SUV or whatever it is that you drive, you might have haughty eyes. If you look upon your self-righteousness, notice I say self-righteousness, not God's righteousness. If you look upon your self-righteousness as that which God should be thankful for, you might have haughty eyes. You might look highly upon yourself more than you should, and God will not, according to this text, will not save you. He will bring you down. Because the language of saving implies lifting up. If you have already set yourself higher than you should, there is nowhere else to lift you. You just need to be taken down a peg or two. Amen? And do we serve a God who loves us enough to correct us when that is needed? I hope so. You see, God 
in Scripture, God resists the proud. That's the idea here. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 5. We see it in James chapter 4. We see it in Psalm 138. We see it in Matthew 23. All throughout Scripture, there's even more Scriptures than this, where God saves the humble, but He brings down the proud. That's a common theme here that we see. It's interesting here that this idea of verse 27 is also reflected in Mary's prayer of thankfulness to the fact that she is going to be carrying the Messiah. Flip over to Luke chapter 1 if you wish. Luke chapter 1. We read this at Christmas time. Uh, it's called the Magnificat. This is Mary's prayer to the Lord once she has been told that she will conceive the Son. This same idea from, Matthew, from Psalm 18 verse 27 is reflected in Mary's prayer. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent empty away. You could read Mary's prayer there and study that on your own. But I ask you that if, you, if you're making notes in your Bible there in Luke chapter 1, make a little note there to refer back to David's psalm in Psalm 18. And why is this important? Because we, we know that in the scriptures and throughout all of David's songs to praise, he is not only pointing to God's majesty for loving David and, and so protecting him, he's also singing praises to the Lord and hope and, and holding on to that future promise of the coming Messiah who would carry on the reign of David as king. I think the fact that Mary recognizes the connection here with David's songs to her situation of conceiving the Christ. She is singing the same words to the Lord. The same attitude, the same theme, the same is, is constant throughout the Psalms and into the New Testament. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Verses 28 and 29 of Psalm 18 David sings now and compares. And again, we've, we've preached on this here before. There is this imagery of darkness and light. And in verse 28, we see that darkness resembles the distress of, of, of the life and of things that are coming against us. Light is the emblem of comfort. Verse 29, For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. Notice here in verse 29, that David is pretty confident in himself because of the power of God, because of his faithfulness to me. Verse 29, for by you, God, I can run against a troop. That means he can take on an army. Because of you, God, I can leap over a wall. Does anybody ever have that attitude toward the Lord? Right? Because of you, dear God, I can do a lot of things. In your strength, dear God, you will protect me in battle against the armies. Because of you, dear God, in your majesty, I can leap over a wall which is impossible. I can do the impossible, Lord, as you direct and as you give me strength and as you lead ahead. I will follow your majesty and give you praise. 
See, we want to always be humble and not too proud, which is a good caution. But there are appropriate times of acknowledging God's strength and that as His children, as God has proven Himself faithful, we can embrace this. Martin Luther tells us here about verse 29 of Psalm 18, In confidence on Thee, dear God, I am terrified at no assault. I am content against all kinds of enemies. I can leap over walls and whatever else is opposed to me. Wow. In God, according to this passage, to be in God is better than to be by His side. If God is in us, if we are in His love and embrace, we, that is better than just being near and we can do all things. Verse 30, and we'll close out in this wonderful text. David now, he, he, he really sings here about God's way. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. This one verse is actually my wallpaper on my, on my computer. Every time I have to log into my computer to do work, which is all, all day long, it's, <laughs> this is the first thing I see. I, I, I do this intentionally to remind myself that, that God and His ways are perfect and that He has proven Himself true. Think about this. What, what is it about God that we think of as perfect? Is there any flaw in God Himself? If there was any flaw in God, then the very idea of God would be faulty, which cannot be true because the very idea of God is perfection. This God, His way is perfect. God is perfectly just, isn't He? God is perfectly wise. God is perfectly holy. And God is perfectly good. And if that is part of His character, if that is who He is, then we can have faith and depend on Him. God perfectly will prevail in all circumstances. He is, we are certified, or we are certain of Him. We are assured of His ability to perfectly prevail over all things. Likewise, God is perfectly honorable to Himself. Ponder that for a minute. God does not need to honor anyone else but himself. Wow. <laughs> That's God. God is also perfectly safe to his people. That's what we see here in David's psalm here, Psalm 18. He is acknowledging the fact that as powerful and, and as dangerous as God can be to the world... And I think of that idea here in C.S. Lewis's Narnia books. The, the lion Oz, Aslan. Of course he is dangerous, but he is good. But who is, who is God dangerous to? He is not dangerous to his people. He is dangerous to those who reject him. He is dangerous to the enemies of his holiness. He is dangerous to the enemies of his people. And David is acknowledging this and singing praise. This God, His way is perfect.
The word of the Lord proves true. Now, interesting here, this second line of verse 30. Now, clearly the word of God is true. This wonderful book that we have is true. There is no error in this book. Amen? But I think what David is implying here, more so than our trust in the Scriptures, is that God has given His Word. You know people that give their Word that you cannot believe? Yeah, I'll, I'll call you next week. Never call. Yeah, I, I, you call up somebody to do work at your house. Yeah, I'll be there tomorrow morning bright and early to get work, to get started. Do they ever show? Yeah. Oh, I'll pray for you. I'm remembering you this week in your sorrow. How many of us are trustworthy when we actually say, do we mean it when we say, I will pray for you? How often have we failed in that? It has become such a, a cliche in Bible Belt Christianity, oh, I'll pray for you, which really means, well, bless your heart. You know what bless your heart in the South means, don't you? You really, when you say bless your heart, it's a nice way of saying, well, how pitiful are you? Right? That's what that means. You Southern ladies know that, right? We have turned, I will pray for you, into, well, bless your heart. God doesn't do that. God's word is true. The word of the Lord proves true. David here is acknowledging in verse 30, God, you have a proven yourself to me time and time and time again. You have proven yourself faithful. No matter what my circumstances are, God, I can remember what you have done and I have assurance you will do it again. Amen? He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him because the word of the Lord proves true. God's word has been tried. It is successful. It is perfection. It has been tried by fire. And because of that, whenever we are in the midst of the fire, when we are in the midst of the storm, when we are in the midst of the drowning waves, we can take refuge in Him. Amen? God's word never fails. God's word is always comforting God's word is always supportive. God's word is always direct and clear guidance. God's word is for deliverance. And God's word never fails because it brings us to recognize His glory. Amen? Amen. Can we say amen in the Baptist church? Amen. There we go. We're not, yeah, it's good. Now, I want to do close out here uh, the last verses of Psalm 18. I love the Psalms because no matter how much honesty is being expressed in the singing and the, the poetry toward the Lord, if you've noticed this in the Psalms, especially David's Psalms, he's going to be really direct with God. He's going to be honest. He's going to say, dear God, here's how I feel. I'm miserable. I'm, I'm, I'm in fear of my life. The world is against me. I have no hope. But dear God, you are who I can lean on. Look here in verses 49 and 50. 
after David sings song of praises to the Lord and remembering all of the times that God has delivered him from his enemies and delivered him from sorrow and delivered him from just all kinds of torment. Verse 49. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Now I want to tie this in and let us understand what verses 49 and 50 are really pointing to here. David here in verse 49, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. He's reminding himself in this song, and he's actually committing to the Lord, I will proclaim your name among the nations who reject you. Right here in verse 49 is David's acknowledgement, I will witness and proclaim the gospel even to those who do not want to hear it. He was surrounded by enemies who wanted to take him out because David was dangerous to them. He said, I'm going to stand firm in my God's truth and in His promise. I will proclaim His promise to me that a Messiah and another king would come. The nation of Israel was there to proclaim to the world God's glory. And David says, I will sing your name among the nations. And that primarily means those who hate God but you and I will not witness and proclaim the truth of the gospel to our family, to our co-workers, to anyone on the street because we're afraid of what they will think. And here David is singing praises to the Lord. I don't care what the enemies say. I am praising you anyway. And because of that, verse 50, what he is singing praises of is this great salvation that God has promised. Verse 50, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Let me tell you right here at the end of verse 50, notice in your text, is the word offspring in the plural or in the singular? It's in the singular. He's not talking about the many generations of offspring to come. He's talking about the one offspring, Jesus Christ, who is promised to come. You see Jesus here even in the Psalms. That's amazing. Now you say, Pastor, how do you get that? Well, read, the, read Paul in the New Testament. He points to this often. <laughs> that the offspring that is mentioned in the promise of all the covenants from Abraham to David and on. When he promises the offspring, he's not talking about the plural offsprings of many children. He's talking about the one offspring, Jesus Christ. Is that not worthy of singing praises for? You see in verse 50 here, in verse 49 and 50, David is acknowledging, Dear God, you have called me to reign. It, David didn't step into the monarchy on his own power. David didn't rise up in a revolution to take over the throne. It was God himself who drew him up. He called him from heaven and he said, I am setting you here as my chosen one. 
if God has done that for you, not that He has set you up as a king, that's not what we're talking about, but if God has called you to repentance and called you to salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, He is establishing you as a witness of the kingdom in this world. Can we take away from this psalm an encouragement to sing praises to the Lord despite what comes against us? It's because God has called us to do that. And God has equipped us to do that. And God has given us a message to proclaim. Now please, as you leave here this afternoon, and you sit down and eat your third piece of chicken, maybe it'll hit you. Oh, wait a minute. We're supposed to sing praises to the Lord. Maybe tomorrow morning on Monday when you go into work, dreading it. I pray that that would, this point would come out and say, I have a message to proclaim. Kids, as you get ready to go back to school, I know you're, you're counting down the days. Your summer is over. I'm sorry. Sing praises to the Lord, Eli. As you go into school, you've got a message to proclaim. Amen? I'm going to stop. Come on up here, kid. Let me pray for us. Dear Father God, oh, how majestic is your name. And I thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with the words of your servant David for, to, for direct inspiration from your throne. You are speaking through these, these texts. And Father, first of all, forgive us when we forget what you have always done. Please bring to our memory how you have been faithful to your people whenever we do not see clearly what your hand is doing. Dear God, I do pray that when turmoil comes, that we would rest in you and find safety and refuge in your hands. That only happens, God, because you have made us your people. That only happens, God, because you are the one who calls us to salvation. Let us sing praises to you, Father, because you are definitely worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Let's then sing page 364. <laughs> Firm the foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause you to stand. 
sermon text today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Are all hearts clear today? Do we serve a God worthy of praise? Amen.